We will be in Galatians chapter 5 if you would like to make your copy of scripture ready. It's Galatians chapter 5, a small epistle in the New Testament or letter written by the Apostle Paul, a missionary to the Gentiles a couple thousand years ago. It's Galatians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, um, I don't know if you follow sports avidly, but even if you do, you may not know this because some of it's a bit obscure. But um, some interesting things have happened in the world of races this year. Um, Back in June of this year, 2021, the Tour de France, which is like a big deal in the bicycle racing community, um, in the Tour de France, there was a lady who was holding a sign, and she really, like the sign says something like, go grandma, go grandpa, in a couple languages, which is interesting, but she really wanted a picture of her holding that sign with the peloton, the group of cyclists, racing up behind her, and so she's kind of like out in their way, trying to take the sign, get it at the right moment, but her timing is just frankly awful, and so she ended up getting just slammed into, created this massive pileup. Um, lots of people crashed. It was awful. Um, and the thing is, sometimes in life, people get in your way. Sometimes in life, others will get in the way. Or uh, last month, there was an Illinois man who won the Quad City Marathon. Um, last month. Uh, he won this race because two Kenyan runners who were way faster and way further ahead of him in the race were actually led in the wrong direction by the volunteer cyclist who was supposed to lead the charge. He went the wrong way, and they followed him. And so a much slower man won the marathon. Um, and here's the thing. Sometimes in life, others will lead you astray. <laughs> and then um, also happening last month, uh, this one I love, the winner of the Bristol Half Marathon was disqualified. Uh, the reason he was disqualified is because he actually signed up for the 10K that was running simultaneously. <laughs> and um, when it came time for him to turn one direction, he turned the opposite direction and didn't realize he actually ran more than two times the length he was supposed to run and won it. <laughs> but he was disqualified because you signed up for that race, not this one. <laughs> and so here's the thing. Sometimes in life, we lead even ourselves astray. So sometimes others get in the way Sometimes others lead you the wrong way, and sometimes you just lead yourself the wrong way. And that's what we're going to explore today, because this is life and faith as well. There are some who would love to stand in the way, making a wreck of your faith and leading you away from the true course. And we need to know what to do with that. So we are in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start where we left off last week in verse 7. So if you will read this with me, Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. Paul speaking here, he says, you are running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I myself am persuaded in the Lord you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. That should make you uncomfortable. <laughs> we'll get into it, don't worry. Uh, but here's the thing. I want you to see in this text today, Paul has made a shift. Paul is making a shift. His focus has been on the Galatian Christians. They're like, hey guys, remember the gospel. There are people coming in, they're creeping in here, and they're trying to distort the gospel. They're saying like, yeah, as Jews, like we've always been the people of God. And so welcome into the family. It's great that you believe the gospel. It's salvation by grace through faith. Yes, Jesus died. He rose again. He's resurrected. You can have life with him forevermore. All that is great and true. Believe that. But don't forget, like remember, we're Jews. We've always been the people of God. 
you also need to remember, like he told us we need to be circumcised, you need to observe the Sabbath, we have these special feasts and festivals, like we have these signposts of what it is to be an ethnic Jew, to be the people of God. As they're trying to add to the gospel and distort the gospel, remember Paul started off as like, there's not even another gospel. Like you have actually abandoned the gospel if you turn from what is just the simple gospel. Christ died, he took our place, dying the death that you and I deserve on a cross, and then he rose victorious over sin and death saying, believe in me, follow me. He is life, he is freedom, he is forgiveness. It's all what he has done. We don't live for the favor of God, we live out of the favor of God. Our salvation is by grace through this vehicle known as faith that just couples us to the object of our faith, and the object of our faith is where the power is. It's Jesus. And so don't fall for this, guys. And so he's been arguing all that, kind of addressing them like, guys, look, uh, don't, don't do this, don't do this, don't turn to anything else. And now he makes the shift to where now he's still addressing them, but the focus has now shifted to these are the people who are opposing you, trying to lead you astray. They're trying to get in the way and make a wreck of this. And he has some harsh words for them. And so as Paul is making his case now and is showing that there, there's really strong language, showing us there is actually a time for you to stand up, to see opponents to the gospel for who they are and take a stand against them. There's a time to speak up. But today I want us to wrestle, what does that actually look like? And so we're gonna go back through this. What does it look like to stand up for our faith, to actually be in a position, a posture of, like last week, stand firm. Remember, the tide is coming against you, so you need to stand firm. You've gotta know how to stand. And so today, he's like, this is what it looks like. And so here we go. Go back into verse seven. Verse seven, Paul says, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? Paul's like, hey, it's like a race. And Paul uses this language a lot. Um, probably because in the ancient world, you know, the, the influence of Greece and Rome, you had a lot of sports happening. In most major cities, you had the gymnasium, is how we would call it, but there's, there's an athletic center, and, and the Olympians and all this stuff are training, and so everybody knew about sports, kind of like today. Like, man, if I hear another pastor give a sports illustration, I'm gonna lose my mind. Like, why do they do it so much? Because even if you don't like sports, it's so permeated in our culture that you're like, oh, I get it. And so Paul does it, he's like, you were running well. You were running well. You were running the race. You were pursuing truth. You were persuaded. You were being persuaded by the truth, which is this beautiful picture we get that you don't just like, it's not this magical prayer that's like, oh, I said this thing where I confessed I'm a sinner and I trust Jesus and like, I'm good forever. Like, no, no, you continue. And yes, absolutely, it is God who is holding us, but you continue to pursue truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he was constantly saying, follow me. We're moving. And so are you going to continue to follow? Are you gonna race after truth? Are you gonna follow Jesus in this way? The Christians, before they were known as Christians, were known as followers of the way. Isn't that beautiful? Like, you know, it's not just like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm just gonna chill here. It's like, no, no, he's calling you into this mission. He's calling you into a life that gives glory to God. He's calling you into his kingdom and saying, let's go. And so Paul is saying, guys, you were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? There's opposition here. This, this week, uh, actually a couple nights ago, we, we went to downtown Winter Garden. Um, they do this 
big light show. Um, it's really impressive on City Hall. And um, so we're, we're there, and it starts to rain. There's like some kids dancing and stuff, doing this performance, and then it starts to rain. And so everyone's like, oh, like we got to get out of this. And thinking like, it's not going to last long. So my family, we like tuck up under the little awning over the front doors of City Hall. And so we're there, and there's like, a ton of people, like, all kind of crammed in there, just waiting for the rain to go away. There's people running everywhere. And so about 10 minutes later, the rain's starting to slow down to a drizzle. It's just sprinkling at this point. And so more and more of the kids that are tucked up in there, because no kid wants to just stand there and watch, like, oh, we're supposed to be out there having fun. And so more and more of them kind of take off, and they're, like, dancing around. And like, oh, that's cute. Like, you can get wet. I'm not getting wet. That's crazy. It's cold. Um, I, it, it went below 80 this week. Everybody, we need jackets. <laughs> it's crazy. So, so we're standing there. My daughter, at one point, like, gets excited by all these other kids that are jumping out there now and playing, and there's this little curb, like a planter, that's kind of, like, within 10 feet of us. And she, like, gets excited, and, like, you know, she's kind of testing the water, like, can I get out a little more? And I'm not telling her, like, get back here. Like, it's just sprinkling at this point. Again, I don't want to get wet and freeze to death, but you can. So she gets out a little more, and then all of a sudden she's like, okay, full-on freedom. And she jumps up on the planter and takes, like, two steps, loses her balance, falls, nearly kills herself on the planter's edge, and then nearly kills herself. Like, her face is inches away from hitting the concrete. Like, that's my daughter. There we go. So, but here's the thing. As this is all happening, you know it happens, like, in a split second. Like, there's no way for me physically, it's just not possible to get there and catch her. So I'm watching this play out, and remind you, like, there's all these families tucked up in here together, a whole bunch of moms. You know what I hear? The mom gasp. Somehow, there's hundreds of moms now behind me. And I hear the mom gasp. And I just want you to know, like, I've been, my son is seven and a half years old. I've been on a seven and a half year long campaign to eliminate the mom gasp. Like, I've told her over and over, if you would just not make that sound, it'd be so much better for all of us. Like, when you make that sound, even if he's totally fine, like, you, like you're, you're setting him up for this. Like, it's not going to change anything. They're going to be hurt or not hurt, whether you make the sound or not. Just don't make the sound. And then it's so much easier to calm them and everything else. But, you know, now I have a whole collection of moms that somehow are all watching my daughter nearly kill herself, and they all make the mom gasp noise at the same time. And you know now what I have to do? The walk of shame. It's mine. She's mine. I go pick her up. I just think, ah, why? <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, I can, I can feel, like, that's my insecurity in that. Like, I can, I can feel frustrated by that. Like, why do the moms always have to do that? Like, they're all watching, judging me right now. But here's the thing. Like, why do they make that gasp? Because they're watching and they care. They're only watching and making that sound because they care. Paul sees someone is opposing you. You know why Paul sees someone is opposing them and has to say something? Because he cares. And so he's watching. Church, do we watch each other like that? Do we love each other like that? So if we're going to say something, if we see there's a danger, will we make the mom gasp? <gasps> I can't even do it, you know. Are we watching? If we care, we will be watching. Let's watch out for each other. And so Paul keeps going, having said like, hey, <laughs> I see this is happening. People are trying to per persuade you, uh, prevent you from being persuaded regarding the truth. Now in verse eight, he says, this persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Hmm. Where is the source? There are so many different pools of persuasion in our life. And that's, that's the entirety of what marketing is. It's trying to persuade you of something. And we live in a generation that is more marketed to than any other. 
I, I don't know the stats, I used to know them, but it is insane. Go look up the number of advertisements, the number of times that you are trying, to, or someone is trying to persuade you to purchase something, to indulge something every single day of our life. Always, like there's so many sources of persuasion. And Paul is saying, hey, the ones that are trying to prevent you from being persuaded regarding the truth, they're trying to persuade you of something different. What is the source of that? What is the source behind that? So here's the thing, like we can take this a step further. If we're to see that Paul is making a stand here, there's, there's some opposition, they're coming up against each other here, then I think maybe we could take this and I think like it's absolutely acceptable for us to look at this and say, well, when I take a stand, when I find myself in opposition, it seems really wise for me to trace my position, my persuasion that I'm trying to persuade you of to its source. What's actually at the root of me trying so hard to persuade you of this? It's 2021. You know what the last couple of years have been like. And I'm not at all saying that it is wrong for you to voice your opinion. But as you do that, search your heart. Why? Why is this so important for you? What is the source of this conviction that is driving you to this? Trace your conviction to the source. Is what is driving you to a confrontation from God? from yourself, or from someone else. I'm not saying any of those are wrong, but please take the time to figure out why you're going to step into this opposition. What is the source behind it? And he keeps going. Verse nine. It says, a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. I'm like, well, that just got weird. Um, Chris is a fantastic chef. I affectionately call him Chef Boyar Chris. Um, but Chris... <laughs> Chris had to explain this to me, actually, uh, some months ago when this came up in another teaching. But I, I don't know how all this stuff works. But you, you get these different things. And, and so what he's saying is, like, this is like in cooking. This leaven, you get a little bit of leaven. And it doesn't just, like, sit there, like, oh, here's a little bit of leaven amongst all the dough. It's contagious. Like, it spreads. And slowly, it takes over all of this. And suddenly, it's all affected by it. These things, Paul is saying, hey, listen, these things, they're trying to persuade you of something else. The opposition here, the people trying to get in your way or try to lead you astray, that little thing, like that little comment, it's going to grow. It's gonna spread and it's gonna try to take over things. So it starts off small, but it's gonna take over the whole. So here's the thing. It's easier to address something when it's small, right? So don't have any tolerance for it now while you see it in this little pocket put a stop to it because it's gonna spread like a cancer. It's gonna start to take over all of the whole. And so in so many things, when we need to stand up for the gospel, when we have some influence, like don't take that lightly because you may think, oh, it's just one small voice. You know, that voice can spread and convince others. And so suddenly someone like Paul has to say, hey, whoa, whoa, you were running so well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? You're on, the, you're on the wrong race. <laughs> what happened? You're supposed to be running the 10K and you're running a marathon. What's going on? This is insane. Or that little sign, bam. <laughs> There's massive casualties all around. It's just that little bit can spread and become so much more. In verse 10, he continues. He says, I myself am persuaded. I love the, the repeated use of persuaded. And so remember, if you hear a word repeatedly used in a passage, there's something really profound happening there. It's intentional. And Paul now says, I myself am persuaded in the Lord. 
So where's his conviction? Where's the source? He traces back. I myself am persuaded in the Lord, you will not accept any other view, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Paul is confident. He is persuaded that this will not lead to their destruction, that they will ultimately land in the truth of the gospel. He's persuaded for two reasons, and I want you to see this, so go back to the start of verse 10, and the first half of this verse, verse 10a, it says, I myself am persuaded in the Lord, you will not accept any other view. Why can Paul say he's persuaded of this? Why is he confident of this? Because it's in the Lord, the God of love. The God that, the, the reason the gospel came to us, the reason that all of this came about, for God so loved the world. And what do we know of love? 1 Corinthians 13. What does love do? Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Paul's saying, hey, in love, the reason I saw this, in love, this is what I'm persuaded of. In the Lord and his power, you're gonna make it through this. You're gonna land in the truth. And then the second half of that verse, part B, he says, but whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. This is the other reason that Paul can do this with confidence, that he can say, I know, I'm convinced of this, and that is because God's judgment is coming. When you get into some kind of opposition and some conflict, you need to take a stand, then one, like the first half of this, be confident because of love. Trace, trace it back to the source. Is this in the Lord? Are you doing this in love? Is love the more, the anchor here that's holding you, that's tethered you to what matters? And Paul says, I can do all kinds of crazy things, but if I don't have love, <laughs> it's like this annoying little instrument, gang and clong, little symbol. I'm nothing. You must do this in love. And then you can take it you can stand and you can actually accept a lot. You can have the tide wash over you and it can hurt. You can get salt water up your nose. You can do all these things if you just remember, hey, the day is coming when God will judge all of us. I want to be on the right side of that. And so if you are persuaded that this is in love, then you don't need to fear that day. But those who are doing this out of hate, out of self-love, selfishness, all those things, the day is coming when God will make this right. And that's not our role. It's God's role. And so we can rest. We don't have to be all freaked out and worried. God's gonna take care of it. So I'll stand my ground in the truth here in love. And God will deal with this. And then verse 11 says, Now brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? And what he's saying there is apparently these people were like, well, actually he's, he's on board with this too. Paul's on board with this too. If he was here, he'd say the same thing. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. That's, this is contrary to the gospel I preached to you. And I was saying, he's like, if, if I still preach circumcision, if this is true that I'm in favor of what they're saying, then why am I being persecuted? That makes no sense. And look, look what he says next. He says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. The offense of the cross has been abolished. So here's the thing. If we are going to be offensive as a people, and we should be, but let's let it be the offense of the cross. If you're gonna be offensive, let your offense be the offense of the cross, that you would stand in love and truth, the gospel, that you would stand the offense of the cross, the cross is offensive enough. Like, 
you know, when, when we planted this church, we, we looked at all, this, all the demographics and everything, and you can think like, oh, there's some like, really big churches around, like Bible Belt and all that stuff, and like, so many people are part of churches. Um, you know, Alex, our executive pastor, he, he gets all this Google data. He's a nerd like that, and he loves calling himself a nerd, so I'm okay saying that. But he put a flag in the middle of Claremont, and within 10 miles, a 10-mile radius, there are over 90,000 people. And this was like three and a half years ago that he did that. You know how many houses have been built now? How many more people have flooded this community? And here's some homework. Go figure out how many seats every church in this community has. And see, how many people do you think are actually actively part of the faith? It's not much. It's really not much. And why? Because the cross is offensive. We don't naturally like to hear that you cannot do anything to earn, the merit and earn or merit the favor of God. We like to think, oh, I can be a good person. I can do this. I'll overcome. I'll read this book on self-help and I'll do this. And I'm not saying that all those things are always wrong, but your salvation is nothing that you can earn. And so we celebrate that. We rejoice that. We grow in that reality that I can never earn this. It's by grace I have been saved through faith. God prepared these good works for me to walk in beforehand? They're his. Like, I just get the joy of walking in them. I can't take credit for any of it. But that's offensive to us. Whoa, I'm American. I'm a self-made man. We love autonomy. We love individuality. We love the self-made success story. But the cross is an offense that says, you deserve to die here. But God, the creator, would die for his own creation in this brutal, barbaric way because he loves you and you can never earn his love, but he gives it freely. That's offensive. So, and you can't remember, or you can't forget, you must remember that, as Paul has already pointed out, the enslaved are always going to oppress the free. So, let's keep going. Verse 12 wraps up this portion. He says, I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. Exclamation point. I didn't read that correctly again. But here's the thing. I have wrestled with this all week. I have thought of so many illustrations to prove the point of what Paul is saying here that involve fruit and knives and all kinds of things. It's a little operation game. Um, and every time I've come up with an idea, Courtney's like, you can't do that. You can't do that. But here's the thing. It's supposed to be absurd what Paul is saying here. You should read this and be like, Paul, that's a little extra, man. <laughs> They're saying you need to be circumcised. You need to do this biological procedure where you take away some extra skin from a very intimate place as a sign that you are now part of the family of God. You are part of the people of God. And Paul's like, here's what I want. I want you to go ahead and use a knife. Just take it all. <laughs> go ahead and emasculate yourself. Like, that's in the Bible? What? <laughs> yes, he said that. That's harsh, and it should rock you. This is, this is crazy language that Paul is using, but this is what he's saying. Look, you're saying you need to be circumcised, to be brought into the people of God, into the family of God. But by you doing that, you have forsaken the gospel to think now you could somehow earn this, your religious performance, you in some way can earn your place in heaven a right standing relationship with God, you think you can somehow do that by obeying this thing that is meant to show you you never obey it in the first place. You think you can do that? 
Well, here's the thing. By you doing that, you have actually cut yourself off from the people of God. So you think it's about cutting foreskin off so that you can be part of the family of God, and by doing that, you have actually removed yourself from the family of God. You've already cut yourself off. So you might as well cut it all off, guys. He's saying something radical here because he wants you to realize the absurdity of this. He wants Christian for you to realize that this is time to stand up and say, no, we will not allow you to, to taint our gospel. We will not allow you to distort our gospel. This is the gospel as we have received from Jesus himself, passed down through the apostles, preserved in the word of God, that you cannot earn your way to heaven. But Jesus came from heaven and he lived a sinless life. He died the death that you and I deserve and then he rose again victorious. He's alive forevermore. He holds the keys of death and hell. And he's saying, believe. Put your trust in him, not yourself, what you can do. So when you put your trust in what you can do, you think you can be good enough, you've already removed yourself entirely from the family of God. So we don't accept it. We stand, there's so much at stake here. This is passionate love. This is passionate defense of the Galatians, of fellow believers. This is watching out for each other and saying, no, we won't tolerate that. That has no place here. It's not birthed out of a need for vengeance or vindication, but out of love for the believers that have been led astray. John Stott famously said this. He's a, a pastor, a theologian. He said, I venture to say that if we were as concerned for God's church and God's word as Paul was, we too would wish that false teachers might cease from the land. You have to see that the gospel is at stake. We won't tolerate it. So remember the issue here, verse seven. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? You were running well, this race. So bottom line, beloved, stay the course and beware those who would try to stop you. Keep running well. Stay the course, know the gospel. Stay in your lane, run the race well. All the way. And so as we conclude, I just want to give you kind of three practical takeaways from this. Um, If someone tries to get in the way of running your race, they stand in opposition to the race that you know you need to run and holding to the gospel, following our Lord. Maybe they're trying to make a wreck of all this. Or maybe they're trying to lead you astray from that. Oh, the course is over here. No, no, no. Here's the thing. If, If they do this by trying to lead you astray, trying to lead you on a different path, here's the thing. You need to know the course personally. The best defense against bad doctrine is knowing good doctrine. I've told you this before. I could get up here every Sunday and tell you the names of people who are going to lead you astray and decry what they teach and all that stuff. And that could be helpful to a degree. But you know what is so much more helpful? It's for me to just say, this is the truth. It's been delivered to us in the word of God preserved. Know good doctrine. And then you will know what is bad doctrine and say, no, not that way. My course is this way. So be in the word of God. Uh, today is Halloween. Also, it's Reformation Day. Um, this is the day in history that uh, became famous for the day when Martin Luther um, launched the Protestant Reformation by nailing 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg. You know why he did this? Because he started to study scripture for himself. And as he looked at doctrine preserved by God himself, passed down by faithful believers, He saw doctrine in here that did not align with doctrine out here and the world around him. And he said, I I can't follow that course. I have to follow this course. Know the word. 
Be in the word regularly. Know the course. Don't get led astray. You won't be led astray if you actually know the course personally. So the cyclist that's supposed to be leading the pack can go one way. And you're like, no, actually, the race is this way. I'm going to keep running this way. Um, maybe someone is trying to, like that lady with a sign, just get in the way and wreck your life, wreck your faith, just trying to block your progress with some kind of opposition. And there will be opposition. Jesus told us we should expect to suffer. If you are living a life of, of under the lordship of Jesus, it's just all great, you know, smooth sailing. No one's ever opposing anything that I say or do. And Jesus has words like, woe to you when all men speak well of you. And in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. He says, we should expect to suffer. And so there will be opposition to us. So when someone comes blocking your progress with opposition, you need to fight. But we fight with the weapons that we've been given. The weapons we've been given, this is Ephesians chapter six. In Ephesians chapter six, uh, this is pretty famous, but um, this, just listen to this. Paul's saying like, Here, here's your weaponry. Christian, this is how you fight. He says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Where's your strength? The Lord. So be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Oh, <laughs> for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Your fight is spiritual. So fight. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Remember? Stand firm. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is how you fight. You fight with truth, with the power of God, with faith, with love, with this sandals of readiness of the gospel of peace. Like, fight with peace. Like, oh, what is all this? And then you take the sword, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word is how you fight. The word brings about faith. The word increases our faith. The word is what grows us in salvation. And the word is this sword. But we fight with this. You fight with the word. The real battle is spiritual. You've got the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know what the, the word of the God, the word of God says about fighting and, and what it looks like in the way of Jesus to stand up to opposition and all that? So you, don't, you don't compromise. You hold to the truth. But listen to this in Romans. Romans chapter 12, such a convicting passage. In verse 14 it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You're being persecuted. There's opposition against you. This is what you do. Bless them. Pray for them. Don't curse them. Bless them. Bless those who persecute you. Bless them. Do not curse. And then you jump down to verse 19. It says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath. Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. Fight like this. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. 
This is what fighting in the way of Jesus looks like. You overcome evil with good. Someone comes against you, like Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, give me your cloak. Okay, have my tunic as well. Hey, carry this for a mile. Wow, I'm going two for you. What? Slap you on the cheek? Could you hit this side too? What is wrong with you? What is this? You're supposed to be suffering. You're supposed to feel enslaved. You're supposed to feel oppressed. You're like, no, actually, I'm just free. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to take my freedom. My strength, oh, my strength is in the Lord. His vast strength. I've got this armor. Like, you actually can't even touch me. Yeah, you can hurt this physical body, but <laughs> you've got nothing. Because I know the one who has my soul. I know the one who will resurrect me one day, and this body will be made perfect. I'll be like Jesus in his resurrected state. What can you do? You've got nothing. This is what victory looks like in the way of Jesus. Or that last one. Sometimes you become an obstacle to yourself. How do we avoid that? And here's the thing. My experience has been that our own sin, our own sin has led to more division and destruction in the church than any opposing man or woman outside of the church, which is heartbreaking. I think this is why Jesus, so emphatically, like even in the high, key, high priestly prayer, the night of his betrayal, just over and over, God, let them, let them be one like you and I are one. Our unity is so dear to the heart of God. And yet, when I just look practically, where do most of the divisions and the, and the sufferings happen in the church? They come from within. We can become our own worst obstacle and so what do we do when we become the obstacle ourselves? Uh, this is by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a famous book he wrote on Christian community. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. I'm gonna read that again. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. I asked you earlier when we took the Lord's Supper to look around. Oh, this, is the body. this is the bride of Christ. This is his body. Each other. In all of our mess, and all of our failures, all of our weakness, and yet the beauty of being covered by the blood of the Lamb. That Jesus said, he himself, he is making us holy, spotless, without blemish, to present himself a bride in splendor. He is doing that for us. Christian community is not about us never failing each other. We will fail each other. It's not about us putting these expectations on each other that will crush each other. It's just constantly saying, no, 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 we know the one who will never fail. His name is Jesus. Let's follow him together. Remind each other of this gospel. But do you look at him? He is glorious. And he is changing us. So love the church more than you love the idea of church. Because if you're just in love with the idea of church, you're going to end up hating the church. Love the church. How do we do this again? If you go back to that passage in Ephesians chapter six, 
Um, I left it off at verse 17. If you just read the next verse, verse 18. It says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. What's he saying there? Don't stop praying for each other. Don't stop watching each other. Don't stop stepping in to say, no, 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 stay this course. Intercede for each other. You stay in each other's lives. You stay the course. Stay the course together. You stay alert with perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Because here's the thing. You don't want to be an obstacle to yourself or be an obstacle to others in the church. It's really hard to be an obstacle. It's really hard to be a hindrance for someone if you're genuinely and consistently praying for them. So is there someone in the church that you're struggling with? I want to challenge you this week. Set a ton of reminders on your phone to just constantly keep praying for that person and watch how different you will view them. Watch how different you will interact with them. Watch how you will start to love them. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you love us so, so much. Thank you that you are making all things new, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that this was your will all along, that you've decreed this from eternity past, that you would ransom a people through your son, that you would buy us back, that we would be in a right relationship with you for your glory and our good. Spirit, thank you that it's in your power that this comes about. May you bring life. You, you awaken hearts to see you. So as Paul said to the Ephesians, is, wake up, sleepers. I pray that you would move even right now to wake us up from slumber. God, if there are those here who don't yet know you, who don't have a, a faith in you and just your gospel, not another variant or just tainted view of it, but your truth of what you have done, Jesus. And would you bring that faith now? Would you convict hearts that we would see our sin and see you as a mighty Savior? God, help us to stay the course, to see that there are those who would stand opposed to us, but we must stand firm. So I love you, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.